We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, powered by The Athletic. Shout out to the company. My name is Michael Sean Dugo. I'm here with my co-host, Christopher Kidd. Make sure you follow us both up on the tweet machine. You guys already know where to follow me. We do this all the time. Chris, talk to him. What is up, everybody? It's your boy, Christopher Kidd. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at CKIDD206 and that's CKID206. All right, this is part two of our NFC West roundup. We're taking a trip in enemy territory uh, each week as we look at the NFC West with uh, the Rams, the 49ers, and the Cardinals. Shout out to homie Matt Barrows. Kicked it off uh, last week talking about the 49ers. And to kick off part two, we have the very, very, very talented and one of our favorite guests on the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, Jordan Rodrigue, who covers the Rams for the Athletic. Jordan, what up? Hey, guys. I was just saying off, off camera here a minute ago, it's so nice to see you guys together and on screen and to see your faces after uh, this last year. So hope you guys are doing great. And thanks for having me on. Oh, we're doing good. Thank Did you. Did I for set asking. a record? Am, am I setting the record still? Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Yes. Chris. Chris. Chris knows a little better than because me because so. we started with the Panthers, and that was yeah. Get Jordan back on, and then after that, <laughs> she came to the NFC West, and it was like, well, we're not stopping now. So yeah. So I think yeah. you're definitely going to be our first guest to hit double digit appearances <laughs> for sure. If this is, we got to check that. This might be. This might be like ten or twelve. Yeah, we got. We got to check that. Uh, but first time on video. Uh, good, I know good to I had see to put you. a hat on. I was like, "Oh God, I forgot it was on video for a minute." I was like, "Oh, it's like June gloom out here in California." So I was like, "All right, got to throw on a hat." Oh, it just so happened to have yeah. my the athletic hat just sitting right there, so conveniently, you know. And we have to start with a congrats to Jordan, a finalist for the inaugural Therese Paler Emerging oh, Writer stop. Award. Oh, stop! You uh, are a finalist for that award. We got two great yeah, we'll, in the house. Okay, I can't just shout myself out. Well, let me shout Mike. Let me shout Mike out. Uh, Mike is a finalist for the Therese Paler Emerging Football Writers Award, and I can't think of anybody more deserving than Mike. Uh, just astounding level of talent sitting here. I guess I was going to say across from me, but in a box next to me. So um, I, I just could not be more excited for you. And um, obviously, I think we both are honored to be included in that conversation, just knowing Therese and um, just everything he's done to leave such a legacy and um, miss him, miss him a lot. I think we all, we all miss him a lot, but it's a big honor. 
Rest in peace to Therese. Also, see how Jordan just flipped that right back on me. That was very. I wasn't letting you do that to me. I was not going (laughs) to let you do that to me because you deserve all the shout outs for sure. Let's 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 uh, dive into the team that broke the Seahawks. Um, is what I've kind of quietly referred to them as uh, this offseason. It really, I, I really, I was just telling Chris before we recorded. I said, Chris, before Brian Schottenheimer had to call a game against the Rams, he was a head coaching candidate. He he coached against the Rams three times in nine weeks and got fired. <laughs> like that is quite the turn there. So like, what what do you think Jordan was so effective about the Rams defense against Seattle last year? Well, I think part of it, I mean, obviously the players being who they are and they had such a buy-in in that system and that scheme. And that scheme is and was and will be something that not a lot of other teams are running, if any. And it's got some concepts from like what Vic Fangio does, um, obviously with Brandon Staley having some roots there. But Brandon Staley went to John Carroll and then just like kind of experimented, as a lot of these guys do at Division three schools with systems and schemes. And he built something, particularly with the back half, with the secondary, built something that not a lot of teams, if any teams in the in the league, were running. And um, you could start to see in the same way that people, and we'll talk about this, I know, people all wanted a piece of the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur offensive system. People are starting to pull pieces from Brandon Staley's defense and try to incorporate them into their own defensive system because it was effective. Obviously, his number one defense. It gave quarterbacks, you know, fits. It, Tom Brady threw two interceptions against it, uh, based on particularly and specifically, you know, not under, not really knowing what he was seeing with certain coverages. Um, and it, it just was really, I think, uh, an interesting look at something very, very modern. And I remember we were on with Pete Carroll. You know, we always do those opposing coach conference mm-hmm. calls. Pete Carroll's always, always great on ours. Um, and he basically came right out and said, like, Brandon Staley's doing something different. I've never seen this before. And for Pete Carroll, like, defensive coaching legend to say that, I think was a pretty, pretty big shout out there and kind of got everybody else around the league sort of thinking, like, hey, maybe we should try this. <laughs> yeah, but definitely the players. I mean, not every team has Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and John Johnson and all that. So you guys know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely it's, – it's beyond the talent for sure, even though the yeah. talent does, does help. The thing that I think – I mean, I don't want to oversimplify defense, but – it does feel, I think uh, Brandon Staley said this to Robert Mays for a, a feature he did during the season was essentially they were like, we're going to stop the pass first. Sure. Uh, whereas a lot of teams are essentially built to stop the run first. It's kind of traditional uh, NFL yeah. setup. So it's like, okay, if that's the case, how come more teams don't have success running the ball against the Rams? Because it's not like teams are killing them on the ground either. Yeah. So that's a great question. I'm so glad you asked that because it's two, it's two things that I think were really interesting across the league. And you ask, defensive coaches and assistants and they'll and you ask them what the most important thing the number one thing the first thing that their defense has to do and it's going to be stop the run and part of that is actually not true that you necessarily have to make that your first thing but it's so demoralizing for a team to have like little chunks taken out of it on the ground throughout the course of a game and obviously it does a lot with the clock and it, it changes a lot of things that are predicated on whether or not a team can run the ball well against you but in some cases, um, and especially with some of the, the concepts that are now being run in the modern iteration of the NFL and NFL offenses and how passing heavy the league is getting and how 11 personnel heavy the league is getting um, with like 70% of teams running it 65% of the time, 
um, last season, um, stopping the pass becomes a higher priority and doing so by demonstrating um, certain looks that maybe tempt a quarterback to throw on earlier downs where you might have considered those to be running downs. Um, and that's kind of happened that first game with Russell Wilson. I think um, a couple of people, uh, our Ted Wynn included, did a pretty great breakdown of um, one of those early games last year between the Rams and the Seahawks where the Rams were presenting lighter boxes on earlier downs mm -hmm. at a higher rate than any other team in the league and did so against Seattle, almost saying – almost daring Russell Wilson to throw it, but then they're shifting their secondary down um, from maybe even a single high to a two high look. And they're shifting after the snap or after, you know, at the snap into their look instead of doing it pre-snap and doing that effectively because um, they had athletes who could get into position and, and John Johnson was communicating and Jalen Ramsey is like allowed to kind of float wherever on the field. And so um, that to me was one of the major things is, sort of sacrificing the ego of I can't be demoralized by a team running two, two and three yards at a time on me, um, four yards at a time on me, and instead twisting it into that's not something that demoralizes me as a defense. Instead, that sets up me effectively stopping the pass, and they were the best team against explosive passing plays and pass and against the pass in general, but then they also got good against the run. Right. And, and that was like stunning, you know, and obviously we are never going to on, I know on this show on 11 personnel, my podcast, like we are never minimizing the Aaron Donald factor. We're just not going to do it, right. but they do. It, it's interesting what they had done. And, and basically what they do is they play gap and a half. So their guys up front particularly are accountable for not just their gap, but also the half gap next to them. And so they kind of um, create a mathematical equation up front in terms of, especially against the run, which guys are responsible for which spot on the field. And instead of aligning, you know, in a single gap defense, they're doing gap and a half concepts, um, which when you also have the athletes that can do that. And Sebastian Joseph Day was one of the better athletes against the run um, last year. And you have guys who can stop, you know, not just a gap, but two, up to two, um, definitely a gap and a half minimum. Um, it's going to be hard to run the ball against them uh, unless you, you've got a really effective system or you're stretching them wide like Kyle Shanahan did. Mm -hmm. So um, going be, gonna to be interesting to see moving forward. It's also going to be interesting to see moving forward what this defense will look like without Brandon Staley as mm -hmm. he is no longer the defensive coordinator. And now you guys are bringing in Raheem Morris. What impact – Will that make, or do you think this defense, regardless of who's running things, they're going to go out and whatever and whatever's in play, they're going to get it done? Yeah, so they're going to try to keep most concepts intact, I think. And where Raheem is really passionate is um, obviously ha has done some really creative and interesting things where pressure is concerned um, and pass rush and loves, loves, loves great outside linebackers, uh, works really well with them. Um, and also – where some of this tackling was a concern for the Rams, particularly sort of at that first point of contact. So I think they're looking to nip and tuck little things, but they're not going to go for, in, in my opinion, they're not going to go for a total schematic overhaul because why change what's working? Mm -hmm. And that to me is interesting because Raheem has run just about every defense and some, you know, been an offensive coach as well. And in, you know, the last 17 years or so has, has run just about every what was, you know, sort of the popular, he did a lot of Tampa too. Um, he, he went into a lot of some of the defensive concepts and, and has sort of a tree from that background. 
but now is going to be running something that very few coaches in the league do run, um, but one that is going that is important moving forward in terms of being able to stop sort of that 11 personnel uh, heavy passing attack. And so that's going to be interesting. And they retain some guys on staff who are going to be able to continue to sort of communicate the language and continue to develop that system. But um, I don't think Sean McVay expected to lose his coordinator after one, his defensive coordinator after one year, right. usually it's offensive guys for him, but, um, but yeah, that, that was something where, and then um, hiring Raheem Morris, who is just like this brilliantly energetic guy who just knows how to teach and just is so the players really like him um so far i mean not everybody's in the building but um so far everybody's really enjoyed working with him and so um you know blending someone with that sort of vibe and that energy with you know someone sean McVay clearly trusts from they've worked together on like three different staffs i think uh, maybe two, probably. I think it was three, and Raheem actually fired him from one of his earlier <laughs> oh. jobs. Yeah, and then, um, you know, kind of blending in that vibe where they're going to compete with each other collegially, but also um, try to try to keep the continuity going, especially after some of this personnel loss that they that they faced on defense. I think the most interesting thing that Staley said um, in that that piece with Robert Mays was like it to the effect of it takes a lot of runs to equal up to a 40 yard pass right, or something like that. It was, which, yeah, yeah, it, it does. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I get the, the physicality part of like how demoralizing of getting that gash on the ground can be, but it's like, I don't know, man, 50 yard pass demoralizing too. Man, it yeah. just happens faster. You want <laughs> so, a slow, you want a slow burn or a quick back break, which, which one you want? Yeah. Right. That's, yeah. Either way, not great. <laughs> um, you know, traditionally, Defense isn't like super stable. At least elite defenses aren't. Uh, not as much as passing offenses, anyway. Do you see any, or do you anticipate any drop off from the Rams, maybe because of injuries or scheme or anything in twenty twenty one? Yeah, you know, my big concern is who steps in and replaces John Johnson as sort of that. Like he he negotiated so much traffic for them. Um, if if you're going to run this system, John Johnson was probably the perfect player to have command it. And he would, he had the green dot on his helmet. So he was the the guy who was relaying calls and plays with Brandon Staley, um, the, the, the lone mic'd up player on the defense and the, the amount of uh, traffic he negotiated and the amount of, because again, they're changing into their actual coverage at the snap. They're not doing it pre-snap. They're making the quarterback play quarterback <laughs> you know they're not they're not letting the helmet mic tell the quarterback what to do they're making the quarterback play quarterback so um it, it's really i think having a, a player who can do that um you know there's a lot of young guys on this roster who are i think have the potential to step into that role um and also they played him all over the field and he was sort of like a master key to help unlock what jalen ramsey was doing um whether he was in the star or out wide and or at times like floating with uh with a matchup although uh didn't didn't happen as much as i think we wanted to see it happen um against seattle happened um, too much from seattle's perspective come on Shoot. man yeah we're not we're gonna have some interesting times uh, i remember mike last year we were we would always text back and forth because something would happen and you know, Jalen would say something on on uh, in his press conference and like sort of play down the matchup. But then it was like, I don't know, it was it was always really, really fun. Um, but Terrell Burgess is someone to watch coming into that spot for sure. And then out wide, Darius Williams had a hell of a season um, opposite Jalen last year. I don't expect any decline 
from Jalen Ramsey, to be quite honest. Um, but Darius Williams is stepping into that sort of technically in a contract year. He's he's been tendered with a first round tender. So um, next step would obviously be to try to extend him, which the Rams want to do. But he also could go out and seek top corner money. And they, they probably can't pay that because they're paying Jalen uh, so much. And so um, it's, it's really going to be interesting. Depth there is a little bit of a concern for me. Um, they've only got four sort of uh, rotational caliber corners on their roster. And one of them is a, is a rookie. So um, it's, it's going to be pretty interesting to see how, how that goes moving forward. I think Russell Wilson, the whole Seattle offense would be very happy to see Darius Williams get top corner money and, and bounce somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what, he somewhere picked, else. picked off for us three times last year, <laughs> three times in three games, I want to say, including the pick six in the playoffs. So yes. yeah. yeah, if he, if he bounces, like send him far away. AFC East. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. No, <laughs> Buffalo, just, just get, get him uh, out of here. Yeah, I, I think Seattle would be very He'll be happy. on the Julio. Leo Jones plan, just go to the AFC somewhere. Yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, just, 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 just get out of the division, uh, uh, please. I mean, getting Staley out is, is probably it's a start. Of, yeah, it's a start. <laughs> but I mean, if they're going to run a lot of the same stuff. I mean, the daring daring the Seahawks of all teams, that's what made the, what the Rams are doing so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Hey, you got to have some real guts to dare the Seahawks led by Pete Carroll to run. <laughs> just keep running. You know guys. what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, that is ve- you have to be really committed to that idea because – Pete Carroll could just, in theory, say, uh, okay. don't mind if I do, you know, and <laughs> yeah. pound it. But I think that is where him and Brian Schottenheimer had the beef because he's looking at these, these, you know, this cover six, this cover four stuff. And he's like, hey, man, why aren't we going to Chris Carson again? And yeah. Brian's like, well, me and Russ got other plans. We got 14 out there. We got 16. Why don't we throw it? And he's like, okay, you're fired. Yes. <laughs> You know, that's why I say they broke the that really it not just because they played them well like that that philosophy they couldn't agree on how to attack the best defense in the league and it cost you know cost some guys their jobs like that's some fascinating stuff uh, but I want to get into some of the the Rams front office stuff from this year beyond the coaching stuff is the Matt, the Matt Stafford trade obviously was the biggest probably deal of the offseason I would I would say but what it represents philosophically you know punting on those first round picks again and I can't remember the last time the Rams. Uh, actually use one you know what what have you made of that strategy of dumping those late first round picks for proven players yeah you know what actually I think their last first round pick I might be wrong on this uh was actually Jared so oh god that would yeah. make me stop drafting in the first round I think too. I think it was I don't remember I'm I gonna think have you're to, right Jordan you might have to fact check me on that so the irony of like going all in on this team building model using in part you know, the, your former first round pick quarterback, number one overall pick quarterback, and then sort of shipping him off to Detroit before his new contract extension even starts. Um, yeah, it's a bold move. In terms of the team building, I think more teams are going to gravitate toward the type of, of things that you see the Rams doing, um, not just in their front office decision-making, but also some of their off-season stuff, the way that they draft and and scout and the way that they um, sort of collaborate their analytics department with their scouting department. It's like very, very collaborative atmosphere. Um, And part of that's because it has to be because they don't value um, late mid, mid to late first round picks, the drop off in value for them stops probably around 15, which I think if you look at point charts and things like that, it's about, that's fair. That sounds right. Um, but so many teams stay put in the first round still instead of trading back that those picks sort of have that inflated like new car value um, and start depreciating, you know, 
the day that the 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 guy, unfortunately, no fault of the prospect, but start depreciating the, the day they walk into the building. So um, it, it's pretty interesting to me. They also think they're going to be good for that long, right? Because like right. this doesn't work if you're giving up, you know, top ten, ultimately giving up top top ten picks. But they believe that they're going to be good for long enough and keep winning through this window that's sort of been established by their contracts of Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, Cooper Cup. Robert Woods, now Matthew Stafford. Um, and they think they're going to be good for long enough in that window to where those picks will be in the later part, uh, late twenties of the first round. Um, so they feel that they're not really giving up something super valuable because they're getting back a proven player in return, um, who would be, and was, you know, a top, five top 10 pick. And they did that with Jalen Ramsey, obviously. And then with Matthew Stafford and that sort of team building model, um, it, it skips a lot of steps in terms of bringing the rookie in onboarding your first round pick, developing your first round pick. There's the contract stuff. The Rams are always tied up against the salary cap. So uh, the, the money aspect of it helps alleviate some of the, the issues that they end up having too, but it really, it's such a um, such a thin wire to walk because again, you have to keep winning, but mm-hmm. you also have to really hit on um, you know maybe one or two big free agent a year, and then you have to let a lot of good players walk because you need comp picks because you have to build and pad around the sort of star and core players on your roster for whom you have traded those picks. So hitting on picks in the second, third fourth round and the third and fourth rounds have really been the Rams sweet spot the last two years or so. Um, But then also blending that with the understanding of what your ecosystem is like from a team building and development perspective, developing those guys within a two year window to be key contributors and role players because they're cheaper during that time, first of all. And second of all, because you have to have these guys step up and play complementary roles to how your superstars are playing. The flip side of that too is when you have superstars such as an Aaron Donald, you are now now no longer forced to target a quote unquote complete player in the draft. Instead, what you're looking for is someone who complements and supplements different things that you know Aaron Donald will face throughout the course of the game. Like um, you're not looking for another Aaron Donald in the fourth round. Obviously you're looking for a guy who can occupy a couple guys at once. You're looking for a guy, if you're looking for a pass rusher, you're looking for a lot of length, someone who at least can counterbalance some of those double teams, shed blocks really well, works his hands. Well, Um, one or two, three or four like high quality traits and other things that you can maybe develop with the prospect. And that's sort of, so I guess it depends on whether you're an optimist or a pessimist about whether that's a good, uh, you know, a good problem to have or a bad problem to have, because then that becomes so tough to in your scouting and um, evaluation process to then seek specifically those skills and and like make sure you're right because you, it the balance is so um, tenuous that like if you miss on, let's say you miss on two fourth rounders and they have to play a year after you draft them because that's how your team building model works, but you miss on two of them, um, then things start to crumble. Right. So it's, it's Mm -hmm. really, really fascinating to me. Um, and it's, they're, they're basically trying to keep their window open for as long as they can and doing so by continuing to like 
you know, force their elbows into it essentially and being like, okay, we're going to go get, we're one player away. We're going to go get our quarterback and then we're going to keep this team building model going and load up on comp picks and pad the roster um, with players who we get in the third and fourth round. But we've got these like sort of suns in our solar system in uh, some of these core contracts and we have to win within their window. And it's just really, it's a, it's a fascinating thing, I think. Uh, the more I've covered the league, I've I've rec- I don't want to call them market inefficiencies, but I do like we were talking about with uh, some other stuff like with drafting before. Like there's the the process of team building can be more efficient than teams are just used to. And I think how they look at the draft is one of them as well. Like just because every team is because there's 32 first round picks doesn't mean there's 32 first round talents. And some right. teams have known that for years. Like Seahawks are like the Rams. I think they only give out like 15 to 18 first round grades a year. Yeah, you know? isn't that That's crazy? It. That's I was just going to ask you about that because I, I saw I think you wrote that I saw I saw that somewhere I think you had it out but like there's not even why do you why do teams value those first round picks in the 20s and like the late teens so much when pretty much no team in the league will have a board that has that many players in the fir- with first round grades on them. It's so interesting to me. But so that, so like, that seems like an obvious, well, duh, like we don't have to look <laughs> at it that way. But then the, the second part is where I think the Rams are really uh, interesting and compared to the Seahawks as well is you, you do have to, if you're going to punt on the first round, you got to hit second, third, fourth. Mm-hmm. You have to. And I think the reason why this, the Rams, I think are set up a little better long-term than I would say a team like the Seahawks, or at least I want to say the setup better. Uh, but the reason the Rams kind of stunk for a little bit and then picked it up so quick is because they hit on like the 2017 draft in particular. Right? Yeah. Neither team, Seattle nor Los Angeles, had a first round pick. But you look at the Rams taking Gerald Everett, Cooper Cup, John Johnson, and Josh Reynolds all boom, 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 boom versus Luke McDowell, who cracks his face. Ethan Posick doesn't start till his uh, fourth year. Like when you get into those day two and early day three, is, is if you can hit there, it doesn't matter if you take a guy at 27. You mm-hmm. know, I think that's where, uh, like the Rams, there's there are probably teams around the league or fans who question how the Rams kicking it right now, front office wise. But like you said, there's some really reasons to be optimistic. And Seattle's like trying that too, but it's not really working as well. Thankfully, they just have like, you know, Russell Wilson <laughs> to, to make up for it. Huge, huge there, Russell, Russell Wilson. I do want to flip to the offensive side of things mm-hmm. because. The Seahawks decided to steal a guy. They end up taking Shane Waldron, the passing game coordinator. I still am not 100% clear on what that is. I think I have <laughs> and I think I have the gist of it, but me assuming it doesn't always work out. Does losing Shane Waldron change anything within the Rams offense or is it the fact that you guys might have grabbed someone like Matt Stafford? What 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 happens there now that Shane's gone? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I think the biggest thing was them going out and getting Matthew Stafford. Like the Shane, you know, everyone has that value within Sean McVay's staff, but um, the dude's like kind of nuts. Like he's. <laughs> he's <laughs> He's out there. I mean, he's got his hand in every facet of the offense. And so um, I I do think that it's – I would say it's impactful that the Seahawks brought him in, uh, less so. And I'm not trying to minimize his impact because, again, you know, Sean McVay hates losing these coaches and he loses them every year. And it's always such a hard thing to then go out and find a new guy in the system. It's kind of like, again, like hitting on these draft picks. Like you have to be really good at identifying coaching talent – and at a certain point, you're gonna that law of of averages, like you're gonna miss on somebody, right? And I know they really liked having uh, Shane around, and conceptually so important to what the Rams were doing in the passing game, and and um, tough, I think. To there was a lot of things that went into place, uh, particularly with um, you know defenses figuring McVeigh's offense out in some ways, um, and then also. Jared Goff and he and Sean McVay sort of uh, diverging in paths. Um, and then also, the, you know, the turnovers and things like that, that that were really troublesome for getting that offense elevated and, and off the ground um, and sort of it dropping in the rankings. And so I, I don't think those things are reflective on Shane Waldron's contributions. I think that there was a lot of other crap <laughs> that was happening. Um, so I think it is really impactful for Seattle to have him, particularly if he has a voice. And I think that's going to be something that's important. And I know we have talked about this before on this podcast about um, who has, who's able to troubleshoot things in in the building in, in, in Seattle and who's able to uh, introduce ideas that run counter to certain themes and philosophies that currently exist in place. And um, I think that that's, to me, going to be interesting because um, conceptually there are some things that I am, I am sure Shane Waldron is, is really eager to try. Um, so that's what makes me interested in Seattle is um, will, will those things happen? Um, yeah. You know, will some of those concepts really, really form into place? And then on the other side of it, you know, Sean McVay is onboarding a new, you know, new people on his staff and rearranging titles and trying like hell to retain certain guys and blocking Kevin O'Connell from <laughs> getting an interview, which is like, it's about time he's blocking right. somebody from getting an interview. I mean, my God. Like he, he lost Matt LaFleur cause he wouldn't block him from getting an interview, but, um, oh but yeah, so it's, it's going to be interesting, I think. And, uh, it's hard to know exactly what that will look like until, you know, they're, they're actually in, in training camp, but, um, it, it's a system. Sean McFay's offense is a system. So when one piece sort of unplugs from it, another piece needs to be ready to immediately fill its, its place. So, um, the wheel keeps rolling downhill in Los Angeles, I think. Okay. Hey, Mike, who holds Pete accountable when he wants to make decisions? <laughs> His kids. So I couldn't wait to read. I couldn't wait to bring that one up again there, Mike. Unfortunately, his name is not Shane Carroll. It's Shane Waldron. So well, he's got Tater back. <clears> uh, Carl <throat> Smith is really. But yeah, we'll, we'll see how this all works out. I do want to get to Matt Stafford, though, because I watched some film recently on Jared Goff and some of the throws that he attempted to make or just bad throws in general. And then I watched Stafford and some of the things that he was able to do what is Matt Stafford going to bring to this offense philosophy or what is Matt Stafford in this offense period? And mm-hmm. then moving forward with Matthew Stafford, can this guy get you over the hump? Like if you were to replace him in that Super Bowl against the Patriots a few years back, 
do things change or is it the same? What, what are your thoughts there? Well, actually that, that Patriots game a couple of years back, I think they, you know, they just, they ran up against Bill Belichick installed Vic Fangio's defense within a three week period. And that's why Sean went out and hired Brandon Staley to teach it to him <laughs> and then, and then to run it. Cause he knew it would just completely F up, you know, other offenses that were running similar systems to, to his. So in terms of that, that was like such an interesting experiment in how the cycles of the league can change very slowly and then sometimes very quickly all at once because of one extreme isolated incident, which to me that was because Bill Belichick being a Sith Lord, like went and um, was able to study in a couple, you know, several weeks prior, the the first defense that really sort of tripped up McVay and, and caused him to maybe um, think about and, and look and, and maybe gave him some frustration and then installed it for the Super Bowl playing guys who like, never played for the rest of the season because they just needed different personnel. And then it, it gave him fits, obviously. And so then, you know, he goes out, Sean McVay goes out and hires Brandon Staley, who now obviously is a head coach and is going to start his own coaching tree. And more teams now are going to be running that defensive system. Mm -hmm. And now you're going to see these two competing. It's very Shakespearean. It's like these two competing <laughs> houses, essentially philosophies, like one's offense, one's defense, and they just clash, but they also need each other to succeed and survive. And like my novel coming soon over at the athletic, um, someone designed the movie poster, but um, I'm way off topic anyway. So the addition of Matthew Stafford. <laughs> um, so the thing that we're going to be hearing a lot of is the activation of, of eligibles. Um, you got a sense that, not all five eligibles were being activated at sort of an efficient rate, especially last season. And part of that I do think was um, the emphasis on taking better care of the football. And then some of the pressures and maybe anxieties that come out of that. Like I, I want to go with the safe option every time because um, I've been turning the ball over and defenses are pressuring me differently and those types of things. Um, so they really want Matthew Stafford to continue to do what he's done his entire career, which is be really good at reading through his progressions quickly, um, diagnosing, changing and manipulating coverages, manipulating the pocket, activating all five eligible receivers on the field in a variety of ways that uh, I hope we see like, um, I just sounded like Marge Simpson. <clears throat> Sorry. <laughs> I'm like, I've got some hay fever over here. The allergies are like pretty bad, but, um, uh, so, um, they want to see a lot of ball distribution. And I think they're going to get that from Matthew Stafford. And they've certainly got the receivers and now more so than last year as well, more complementary layers on the field uh, might be getting the, the running backs more activated in the passing game as well. Um, so I think that changes things a lot because that continues to move the offense forward. When you are able to be more free with your personnel groupings and more complex with um, how you even align players on the field and what concepts you run because you know the quarterback is is constantly looking at five all five guys um, who can catch the ball for you, um, then you can do a lot of – it's just math. Like you can do a lot more different um, things along the line of scrimmage and behind the line of scrimmage um, to counter what defenses are running against you. So that's, that's something I think that we're going to see a lot more of. Now in terms of 
like they're betting that he gets them over the hump and gets yeah, them back to the Super course. Bowl. They've yeah. pushed all their chips in and they believe clearly um, that he they were basically one player away from being contenders again. Uh, because you look at, you know, their moves and and they didn't do anything in free agency. They had to let a lot of guys walk. The cap was obviously an issue. Um, they retained Leonard Floyd, which was huge for them. Um, and it sounds like he's very, very excited uh, for Russell Wilson and Trey Lance and Kyler Murray because he loves pushing guys out to the perimeter. <laughs> so, um, but, but you know, it, it's, it's, I don't, I mean, we'll see because I don't know if it's going to work because you got to also take care of the football. Yep. And, um, you know, you kind of saw when Aaron Rodgers, uh, two, what was it, two years ago, my math might be wrong running a new system for the first oh, time, mm -hmm, running yeah. LaFleur's system for the first time. And there were some, there were some ups and downs that first that, year. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And, but then, you know, last season, MVP season, I'm not saying they're the same player, but just in terms of that system itself and what you can do within it, um, it's, it's going to be an interesting, interesting process, but they don't have two years. They've got one year because they want to win the Super Bowl in Los Angeles. And so that's going to be a really interesting uh, dynamic to watch, I think, moving into the year. Oh, this got exciting. Sorry, Ooh. I got so tangential. I just went way off. Like, I shared my screenplay with you guys. <laughs> I'm so Los Angeles now. What I was <laughs> thinking uh, when you're talking about like all five guys being like oh, available to the quarterback, that would seem like a really cool way of saying Jared, Jared Goff was only reading his first guy. <laughs> yeah. He's only hitting progression one. I'm That's not cool. going to say, say that. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll say it. I'll say it. I, a pro football focus had like a stat or something a couple of years ago. Maybe even last year was like Jared Goff. I think it was 2019. It was like his pass rating on the first read was like the highest in the league or something like that. Because that was, second read. It was so easy for him to get there. It was just, yeah. Anyway, and then his his anything after first read, he was like the worst quarterback in the league or something like that. So, yeah, that speaks to what you're saying in the nicer way we can be mean to jared well yeah. then the pressure then you have to like factor in the pressure and if you're moving past your first that's the thing that's different is that i think that matthew stafford can manipulate his pocket really well so he can change the timing of that pressure so whereas maybe it would get to jared quicker in some ways because the pocket manipulation wasn't always there um and so then you maybe are rushed into your second read and then that's all the time you have um, instead, you know, I think Matthew Stafford can buy himself more time uh, to let the plays develop and, and unfold a little bit and like actually work through his progression. Cause it's like basically the same offensive line other than the huge gamble they're taking at center um, playing a guy who has never played center for them uh, or I think in the NFL. <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. But in terms of that type of thing, I think it's going to be really interesting to see, uh, how what the difference really looks like once once it's live. So we're not gonna ask you whether Matt Stafford is good. I know we usually ask like that's our that's our question we ask everybody on the show. Like is the court is insert quarterback good? Do we ask do we ask Matt that about Trey Lance? No, well I guess he wouldn't know. We, we're waiting until right yeah, the first okay. game and then we'll yeah no, we'll we're definitely gonna hammer that in there. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get that. But I do so Stafford is interesting to me. I obviously watch him afar. I don't I'm not a huge Lions guy, but I do feel like there is a sentiment that the failures that the Lions had while he was there are almost like separate from him. Uh, like they, they failed him. You see a similar sentiment coming from New York about the Jets and Sam Darnold, like, Oh, the Jets failed Sam Darnold. But with, as is the case with Sam, I do think there's like, Hey, the Lions would have been better if Matt was better. You know, he played through injuries and stuff, warrior dude. But how do you, how do you kind of view his time in Detroit comparing like where the organization failed him 
and the coaching staff versus where he didn't deliver on his end. Yeah, that's such a big question too, right? Because again, like I'm I'm going back. This is my summer project is like going back and mm-hmm. watching all of, his, yep. all of his games when he was in Detroit and. Let me tell you, that's how you know I care about my job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, watch it, watching the Lions when it's and a sunny day outside. It, and I'm doing it sober, too. So <laughs> that's how you know I care about my job. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's I think that early on there were some – there was really some potential there. But, but you need, like, two or three – now three or four really good receivers to be a dominant team, right? Especially when your quarterback can, can activate. Um, those players. I do think one thing with Matthew is um, they're going to try to limit some of the the turnovers on things that happen when he starts to freestyle a little bit at the end of plays, but they also want him to still do that. So that's like the fine balance that you have to, that you have to walk there. And with Detroit, I mean, I think I do buy into that narrative quite a bit of us, you know, the, the system built around him, failing him in many ways. Um, and I also think that, uh, it's a really risky thing in year 13 to sort of move to a totally new concept. It sounds like he wants to play for like the next five to seven years. So, um, maybe he doesn't think of it as a risk, but when you're so embedded in one thing, um, it's such a challenge to basically learn a completely new language and, even like drive to a new place to work every day and, and all of these different things that uh, go on behind the scenes that are, are little stressors and little factors. And so um, I don't know that I would, I, I think that I'm not dramatic. Like I don't do takes as you guys know. So We're I don't know that I would bait you into some, you do that though. Cause remember <laughs> like Seahawks Rams week, it's like Seahawks Twitter, like, uh, I don't even remember what it was now, but it was something with uh, Jalen and DK. And like, I was like, oh, oh my God. Yeah. I remember <laughs> DK basically, I think he said that he's ready for the matchup. And it was a little slight. Oh, oh it, yeah. It was like uh, they were hiding hiding him from him or something. Yes. Like they were hiding yes. him. Yeah. I saw how they were hiding yes. him, which was like a smart thing for a coordinator to be doing. You know, you probably um, should. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. But in, yeah. But anyway, I, I do think that Detroit, like, the, the pieces that could have been put around Matthew Stafford that weren't uh, failed him in a lot of ways. And coaching, um, I know he had a lot of coordinators he did like working with, but the trying to run Patriots part two up there, like complete, oh, yeah, complete failure and w- totally <laughs> wasting your quarterback's time, to be honest with you. Um, so I, I do think there are some like bright spots that he can look at. Uh, obviously Megatron being one of them. He's played with a really great center up there as well. Um, but there are so many instances that you can look at where you're like, man, if only he had this, or if only he had that, or if only he had a little help, or, um, you know, he wasn't just getting clobbered on some of these plays or, or things like that, that, um, really point to some dysfunction that I think he's hoping to obviously avoid now. Um, but I do think to, to answer the big overarching question, I do think he is a very good quarterback. <laughs> so, there we go. We got that. Yeah, we I got do think answer. he's a very good quarterback and I really, I do really like watching him play again because of the way that he can manipulate the pocket and some of the things he does to, um, change coverages that he sees and, and, um, how he communicates, I think is, is really, really interesting. I think he's, I think he's pretty underrated when you're talking about quarterbacks who see the field, um, in a really advanced way that sort of helps 
evolve the progression of the game itself. I think he's he's really, really underrated in that regard. Did Jordan just say that the Rams are playing the NFC West? Oh, no, my we'll God. Get there. We'll get there. Oh, no, okay. we said, we're, Chris, get, we're getting the gonna, take in there somewhere. She, she said Chris Matt was really get. good, you know. <laughs> making sure everything, you know, okay. We're, we're going to get Chris is trying to get me. Chris is trying to get me. No, it's, it's, it's coming. It's coming. Um, I, there, uh, Jordan, right now, if you guys listen right now, Jordan's doing a really dope series. Um, on the, how the Rams going behind, pulling back the curtain on the Rams and how they scout players and evaluate players. It's some really fascinating stuff. Cause I think again, the Rams have kind of cracked the code on some of this stuff with building a team, obvious stuff, I would say. Uh, but I'll let Jordan explain it a little more. Just how, how would you kind of summarize for, for everyone who needs to read your stuff uh, and check out the series? How would you summarize um, the Rams approach to scouting and how that differs from what the rest of the league is doing right now? Yeah. Uh, again, big question. I'm also waiting for when you start running a team, Mike, because <laughs> that'll be that will be. I think then we'll start talking about like flipping the league on its head and like doing obvious, making obvious decisions. Right. That's like part of what makes the Patriots so good is they they just make the obvious right decision usually. Like they don't they don't try to you know get too cute with it. But the Rams are are really interesting because. Um, they've taken things that are considered to be inefficiencies within their building that maybe are the norm in a lot of other places. Uh, and I can use the example of like attending the senior bowl in person. Now the senior bowl is super valuable from yeah, a scouting course, perspective, yeah. like very, very valuable. But the Rams looked at it and they thought, well, we're, we're, we're taking essentially two weeks of work because we travel out there and you're expected to sort of um, like schmooze and, and all that stuff when you're out there. And then you're watching, you can only, when you're there live, you can only watch maybe, you know, five, 10 prospects a day because you're assigned specific, a uh, specific quadrant or position to watch. And then guys are coming up to you because everyone's trying to get a job. So mm -hmm. they're like handing you resumes and all this stuff. You're making small talk. And then after that, you then go down the week after the senior bowl, then you break down all of the tape. Well, the Rams look at it and they thought, what if we didn't go, <laughs> first of all? <laughs> and then what if we just get cut-ups of all of the drills with all of the prospects and we assign them accordingly, like how we would for people to be there. But we do all of this in one week. So essentially what would have been three weeks of uh, time on task turned into one, which then got them more time to dig in deeper on some prospects. And you saw there was like, I think, nine non-FBS players drafted mm -hmm. this year and the Rams right. picked up two of them. So they were able to devote more time to some doing some of these deeper evaluations um, and kind of looking under in different spaces where teams, especially in COVID um, sort of left out. And so I think that um, that's one way it, it's a very, very massive overhaul that they've done really since um, since they moved from St. Louis, they started putting some of these things in place because when they were moving from St. Louis, they also had to work virtually. And so that was the big catalytic factor for them mm. in terms of changing the way that they use technology and changing the types of things that they uh, delegate and outsource to different in different ways, building their data and analytics department, um, marrying a lot of uh, a lot of like deep study um, computer programming uh, that specifically is mechanized with prospect evaluation and marrying it to the scouting department in a way that's not forced in a way that's like very complementary to each other, which I think there are always going to be things to troubleshoot and, and issues to get through, but um, doing it in a very natural and organic way that like 
either side of things. It's not like the analytics department's on one side of the building and the scouting department's on the other right. side. Like it's very, very collaborative. And so doing those types of things also saves time because if you have the right answer the first time, then you save the time digging for the right answer or digging for like, you know, the different types of, of programming that you might need. So um, it all goes back to sort of how they've shifted their team building model as well, because if you are going to depend on some of those later round picks, like you have to get them right. Yeah, you have <laughs> right? to. Yep. So um, they've put a lot of resources into like, you don't just get data right now. You have to buy it. So um, mm. you they've put a lot of time and resources into um, the allocation of resources into that side of things in order to then blend it with their scouting department um, who have also, and Brad Holmes, who now is coach, or excuse me, the GM in Detroit. And I think he's going to do a great job up there. Um, he was someone who really championed that, uh, you know, scouting and old school football evaluation, but modernizing it in a way where you could really blend it with um, not just tracking sociological and philosophical changes within the league itself, but also within the process of scouting and in the process of acquiring and building reports, acquiring information on and building reports about these prospects. So um, one of the big inefficiencies they saw this year, especially because of the pandemic, was time on task. And so the Senior Bowl, I think, is probably the most dramatic example of how they took three weeks of work and chopped it and turned it into one by making one decision that seemed kind of obvious to all of us mm -hmm. at home. Cause we were like, well, we're not going, <laughs> there's, there's a pandemic happening. I mean, it's not too hard to convince me not to fly yeah. to Mobile, Alabama. Like yeah. I just stayed, Ooh, bummer. Yeah. hate missing that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just, I'll just sit in my cave and watch Detroit lions tape. That's better. <laughs> Hold on, I want to, I want to shout out the piece that you have on this from April 12th of this year inside the Rams major changes to their draft process and why they will go back to normal. I really encourage everyone to check that out because it's not like they're, they're doing revolutionary stuff, quote unquote, but it really is some obvious, like the one thing that stood out here uh, is what I was talking about with Jason Jenks at the last combine um, or the, they didn't have a combine, but you guys know what I mean. The last combine yeah. I went to a person, uh, we were like, why don't, if the guys are all having these next gen stuff and they have the trackers on them, why does the 40 matter? Cause they're running it, you know, without their pads. And it seems like right. more of a, like a, it seems more instructive to just use the tracking data when they were actually chasing people down or running away with pads on. And it, haven't the Rams kind of like devalued the 40 uh, in yeah. that way as well? Like I said, another example of something very obvious right. to change. It's super doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Like why yeah. do I care about a guy who runs in his underwear when I have and tracking a, data with his pads on? Right. And that's <laughs> the thing go. too. And like, it's also the way that they reassign value to it. Right. So the 40, like it's a, Ge like a generalization and I think a hilarious and awesome one like to be like yeah they don't care about the 40 and you'll get a laugh out of them like because they they know that um what they've done is they've reassigned its valuation within their their programming so everything every detail matters within the scouting process obviously everything is relevant in some way but it's how you rank and assign what's valuable in your system versus what's not as value. And again, that's when we talk about like eliminating these inefficiencies is like, if you're over, and it, it goes back to what we opened with, with these draft picks, if you're overvaluing something, you become inefficient. So right. what they've done is they've reassigned value and how specifically the 40 time is applied to certain mechanisms in other ways, certain measurables in other ways. So like this piece I just did on Robert Rochelle, they've got a, uh, they basically built a computer program 
that puts it's consistently analyzing a pool of the 5,000 defensive backs that they've studied since 2015. And so they are basically programming in queries into the computer program to ask where, uh, what measurables are comparable for X player versus Y player. And you can combine measurables into what you want your perfect defensive back to be. Um, which obviously they have on their roster right now. Yeah, so, I was gonna say my perfect uh, one is Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, yeah, so it's like you know that that helps, but um, but they can basically ask the computer to uh, assign a pool or a bucket of um, conditions to certain data points that they have on these prospects, and then it pulls up those and puts them side by side. So when they're looking at a specific pool of conditions and it was like five or six conditions that all had to be true at one time um, to build sort of their perfect defensive back on physical traits and uh, projection modeling alone. Um, and it comes up with five play- or four players. One of them is Jalen Ramsey. One of them is Derwin, Derwin James. One of them is uh, Obi Malafonwu. And one of them is Robert Rochelle, who they took in the fourth round. So it's like, Oh, that seems like an efficient way of, yep. of doing things, but it's it's really um, it's really interesting how those in within that process, the forty time itself is reassigned. It's it's an aggregate of six different either mechanized or hand timed forties, and it's applied alongside seven other conditions that all have to be true at once. It's not just oh, we ran a four four or four three. Let's take him. You know what I mean? Like it's it's right. become they've they've tried to reassign and re- revalue a lot of those types of measurables. And the forty is just so like when I was the piece you were talking about, I was talking to one of their personnel guys, and he had a NFL pro day um, playing, and he referred to it as background noise. And I was like, <laughs> well, that that's a I'll, I'm gonna have to put that in the story, like because <laughs> yeah. they just weren't there. They didn't go to anything. So um, it's just really interesting. Let's well, let's take a trip back to eight, late April in the NFL draft because I think for the most part the Seahawks probably shocked you with what they did, and the Rams definitely shocked Mike and I with what they did with their first round <laughs> with their first trip pick in the draft, and that was Tutu Atwell. When I say the name Tutu Atwell, is there any player that you've seen play before that comes to mind instantly that can, you can compare it to? Yeah, I and uh, again like. Th- 10 what what, 14 year career so totally not the same but Deshaun Jackson he kind of reminds me of in terms of some of the speed and some of the um change of direction and like someone who can really stretch you horizontally and vertically now I don't know if they're gonna have the same career (laughs) um I do know the Rams are gonna run a lot of bunch formations to try to protect him because he's like five foot something. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so you want to make sure that he's protected. Um, but you know, it, it, it is really interesting that Sean McVay had so much success with Deshaun Jackson when they were in Washington together and then kind of went out and found someone who compared favorably to a lot of the traits that Deshaun Jackson also has, um, while also having Deshaun Jackson on the roster. Yep. So like that's a Sean McVay pick for sure. Yeah. So yeah, because um, he was he was on NFL Network and McVay told Peter Schrager, I believe that's his last mm-hmm. name, that Atwell was like Deshaun Jackson Jr. And then yeah. you follow up with that. I see a little bit of Tavon Austin. Yeah, I see that. Not the, not the quick twitchy because Tavon was able to just cut on a dime. I don't see that from Atwell. He's kind of I see it and I'm gone. He sees mm-hmm. the hole and he takes it. 
So what do you guys think you're getting in Deshaun Jackson then? What does he have left? Last year he was banged up, didn't really get an opportunity to play as much. What is he going to bring to this team? Yeah, I mean, they hope he stays healthy, but obviously like what, eight eight games in the last two years and uh, <laughs> a couple of, of injuries. And so um, when I dug into his contract, it's actually really interesting because his contract is um, super incentive heavy with like very specific incentives that you don't see a lot of times like some, it was like um and i'm paraphrasing because i don't have the exact sheet in front of me but it was like uh, uh something like a two million bonus if uh he's active for uh on the active like 46 man game day roster for you know 14 of 16 games or like it, it was very specific oh, wow. and to me it said a lot about um his injury history and like you know you can make this much, but you have to be healthy for us. And you, oh, one of them was a snap incentive, like 50 playing 40% or 40 or 50% of offensive snaps, um, got him another escalator. Um, so nice. to me, that was very based. That was them saying like, Hey, we, you haven't been healthy. So this is how we're going to do your contract. And obviously he's thrilled to be back home in, in Los Angeles. But, um, what they hope is if he does stay healthy, what they hope is he can, add dimension, not just vertically. Cause I think we all know what he can do still. He, he still is like fast as shit. Yeah. He probably took offense to that PFF claim that like Tyreek was the best deep threat. Oh yeah. Ever. Deshaun Jackson has that title without a question. Yeah. He has to stay healthy. Well, I, I got Randy, but then I think the point is that, yeah, Deshaun was yeah. like, Hey, wait a minute. I'm still, I'm still in the league. <laughs> Excuse <Yeah>. me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, obviously you want to stretch the field more vertically than you were able to. And Matthew Stafford loves to throw the deep ball. So definitely want to add those elements to the offense. Um, they, they had them schemed into the plan last year, but for one reason or another, Jared Goff side. It's okay. We'll say it. It's Um, And then also, though, they really, really like uh, not just Deshaun, but also Tutu, I would imagine, to be able to stretch the field horizontally. Um, Sean McVay runs more pre and at snap motions than pretty much any other offensive coordinator in the league. Um, He does a lot of reverses, he does a lot of gadget plays, um, a lot of sweeps, things like that. And I think you're going to see a lot of those guys working in that phase as well. Part of that is obviously they'd like to get Cam Akers going as a lead back in the run game. And so that stretching guys wider obviously uh, allows you more room to run the ball up the middle of the field. (laughs) But also Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are specialists when it comes to working the middle parts of the field. And it was really hard for them to find any sort of uh, negotiating room, I guess, through, through that because teams were playing them so close to the line of scrimmage. And not only does that increase wear and tear on both of them because you're having to be a lot more physical getting through that traffic, but it also decreases the potential catch window for the receiver, makes life harder for the quarterback. Um, So they're hoping by being able to use Deshaun Jackson and Tutu to stretch wide, stretch defenses a little bit wider and have maybe that extra guy who would have been guarding, you know, just kind of help over the top to, to prevent Robert Woods and Cooper Cup doing what they do, have him maybe have to float. Because if you don't send a guy with Deshaun Jackson, you probably will regret it. Um, okay. So, you know, stretching the field out wider in that regard to allow more operation room in the middle of the field. And that's where sort of Sean McVay's playbook like really lives is, is right there. Some of those crossers and things like that. Oh, I'm sorry. We don't really shout out the 11 personnel podcast that much. So I'm enjoying that. That's our <laughs> bad. Please go check out Jordan's podcast, 11 personnel um, named after the Rams pre- popular, most popular uh, 
uh, offensive personnel grouping. Though, I mean, when you have Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby, I can't blame a team for playing a little bit more 12, which yeah. the, the numbers suggest that the Rams uh, uh, shifted to uh, specifically after that Super Bowl run. You know, so what the Seahawks stole, Jared, uh, excuse me, stole, stole Gerald. Gerald. They still <laughs> did. Yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. Oh, Chris huge. is like, hang on yeah, a minute. Yeah, I'm going to edit that. So <laughs> very clear here that they took Gerald Everett um, and brought him up here to Seattle. What are the Seahawks getting in Gerald Everett? Oh, I'm so excited to see what he what he can do. I think Gerald Everett has like so much potential to be a, a really, really great tight end in this league. He does everything, first of all. Like, dude can block. Um, they have him running fades for some reason um, on fourth and one for some reason. <laughs> oh, against the Jets. Is that what that yeah. was? Yeah, okay, I remember so that. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, they have him doing that. He can do that, but um, I think that the most fun that I had watching him play last year was when – uh, McVeigh would sort of align him like they almost would run the, like the eye and he'd be the fullback mm. and it would be such an interesting but then he but then he'd be an eligible pass catcher so he would kind of curl out like it just was so interesting some of the things that that he was able to do so I think you really want to get him activated in the passing game because I think he can do more there than maybe he did last season and was uh, sort of had the opportunity to do last season um, where I would say there were you know, hands consistency has got to be something that he continues to to focus on. And I think that's every, but I think that's like every player in the league, honestly, um, maybe other than like very select few mm-hmm. guys who seem to just never drop a pass ever. Um, but I, I'm excited to see what kinds of things Seattle does with him because um, it's like tight end heaven up there, right? Like, as I recall, well, he'll definitely, well, he'll definitely be asked to block like that. <laughs> yeah, no question right. about it for sure. So if he can do that, I mean, they actually they asked Jimmy Graham to get up there and block. Jesus, you know, man, don't bring that right. up. That was bad. Yeah. That's like, you're right. You're right. We're, <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I don't know if I would have done that, but that's just my opinion. But um, <laughs> that was kind yeah, of my, I think, yeah. Yeah. I Go think ahead. Gerald, like he, again, I, I'd like to see creative alignments for him as a blocker because again, like they, they did use him in the, you know, as blocking help. Um, but it was in a creative way where he could also be activated into the play. And again, we're this is like the theme of the podcast is finding inefficiencies and turning them into efficiencies. And I think that when you have a guy who can do those things like Gerald can, um, you know, you try to maximize the efficient ways that they can be involved in the play for you. And so that's something that I, I would not be surprised to see Shane Waldron. That's where I think his influence will come in is specifically in, some of the usage of what they're going to do with their tight ends. And, and uh, obviously, you know, you're like, Oh, duh, it's offensive coordinator, of course. But like with, especially with the receiving the personnel groupings and the different rotations and things like that, I think you're going to be interesting. It's time to heat things up. It's time to put oh, the no. feet. It's oh, time no. to put the feet to the cold. Let me get go. my let me get my coffee going here. We had Matt Barrows on, and I had him rank the NFC West, mm-hmm. ranking oh. four all the way down to one. I think I, we really just care what Jordan who had, who Jordan has it one. <laughs> oh, I think we I think we're, we know where this is going to end. Let's, but Matt, he had it number four, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was the Cardinals. Then he had the mm-hmm. Rams. Then he had the Seahawks, and then he went with his Niners. So Jordan. Interesting. I, oh, it, was, it, was, it was very bold. He made very good points as to why. So, Jordan, the floor is yours. Yeah. Rank them. What you got? I think that the Cardinals are at the bottom. Um, Fair. And it's a big year, I think, for Kyler and Cliff. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, I do think that 
Ooh, I hate doing this. You guys there know we that go. I hate doing this. I, I have a hard time <laughs> ranking these three as well. Thankfully, we, we run it's the show, so, so we don't have to. We can yeah, you guys make me. It. You guys make me do it. I even tried to to get pity pity from you guys because I'm no, watching the Detroit not. Lions. Like, no, that kudos you doing it sober was really the part that was like, yeah, no, I'd have. You're like, oh, I, don't, IPAs I don't. Yeah, right I don't pity you watching. anymore. Yeah, that's 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 brutal. But yeah, we got okay. Cardinals at four. Okay, all right. All right, I, I'm gonna go. Uh, I might actually go Seattle at three, but okay. it's it's so difficult though. You know, it's we so know. difficult because these guys all cannibalize each other as, yeah, as it goes down, and it's so. I mean, and like the Cardinals, even the Cardinals like got a piece of the action last year uh, in in some ways. You know, and and I'm not saying even the Cardinals like they're bad. I think every team in the NFC West is very good, so it becomes so difficult. Um, if the 49ers stay healthy, then I think they're two. Nice. And I do think I do think the Rams are, are I really think they're I mean, I know they're, play, I know they're I know they're I know they're a playoff team. <laughs> it's almost like I can't not pick them because of the way that they've pushed everything in on making a run, you know, yeah. especially with the Super Bowl in Los Angeles. It's almost like, you know, it, it could implode epically, right? We could have a situation on our hands where it's like it could be a disaster depending on, you know, injuries, things like that. But um, the NFC West is so competitive that it's almost like one small thing can happen to any one of these three teams that I think are, are at the top. Um, and it could completely just collapse the entire structure for, for the season. Um, I have the, the Niners, if they can't, if they can't stay healthy, then I would flip them with with Seattle um, oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> you're welcome. You're so welcome. But I also, you know, that I I really love Trey Lance as a prospect. I don't. I wonder like how soon he'll be playing and starting. Um, there's like mixed feelings about you know kind of behind the scenes from other teams about like their belief that they won't put him as you know right away. Like they, there's some teams that believe that he's going to be starting for them day one and others that believe they might give him a little bit of extra time because they're, you know, it's pretty secure front office and coaching staff up there. So they might feel like they have more time to, to give him time to develop. Um, so that's going to be interesting and a lot predicates on that. Um, but yeah, I, I hate doing this. I'm sweating. Here's the case for the Rams. Cause I, I'll help out here. Cause I think you can make a case for, Three of I the just think they're teams. such a complete roster. Like they're, you know, they're a really complete roster. They're, they're, well, yeah. There's that. I think. Oh, I think honestly, all three rosters of the top three teams, they're like pretty comparable for the most. I mean, depth varies from team to team. There's a lot of young guys I haven't seen on the other teams that I can't like opine on too much. But like the case for the Rams is pretty. I mean, they went the furthest last year, and their biggest issue, actually, independent of how far they went last year, their biggest issue was quarterback. Right, every team, every team had their biggest issue. I think Seattle's was like O line ish. Uh, the Niners was health, and then the Rams yeah. were like, oh, we need to upgrade our quarterback situation, and they did that. And when you upgrade the most important position, you know, and with a quarterback, with the quarterback whisperer like Sean McVay, like, hey, Jared, throw it here. Oh, it's a touchdown. You know, like I think that <laughs> that is the case for the Rams. Only only case against the Rams is assuming a drop off. In uh, right in old in O line play because the gamble because they let right. uh, Bly, was Blythe, how do you say his name? 
the Austin center. Blythe, yeah. He, he, yeah, he's he, gone, he right? It's, yeah. it's Austin, another Austin. That's uh, uh Austin that Corbett, yeah. Yeah. Who so, has not played a snap at, at center, center ever, right? Yeah. So, well, like, did I don't know? You know how teams are. <laughs> teams will like be like, well, you know, he's done. He's done this a lot. You guys just haven't seen it. We're like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, so, like, the case against the Rams is like, okay, maybe you, you assume the O-line, like, takes a little dip, and then you assume, like, defense naturally, like, doesn't have yeah. like, as much injury luck or, like, the loss of John Johnson is bigger than you think. But, like, for the most – you can give the Rams the benefit of the doubt fairly easily if you're assuming health. Like, health health yeah. knocks – health is, could knock any team out, to be honest. But, like, yeah. if you assume health for all four, it's very easy to assume that, like, the Rams, who have the best defense of – all three teams and then upgraded the quarterback can have the run. So yeah. they, they don't got to sweat. That's a, that's a good take. I'm yeah, sweating. You were good. That's a good I'm, take. I am sweating actually, but the, the, the good thing is I I, we, don't have to, we don't have to this make this nightmare. decision. It's all, that was good. I, I, I thought, I thought that was, that was. I'll write like take. in my columns. Sometimes I'll have commenters that are like, why don't you ever make predictions? And I'm like, you don't understand. <laughs> doing this gives me, I don't, I do not know why I like doing this gives me so much unnecessary anxiety i do not know why and it's hilarious to me because it's like that's part of my job i should be <laughs> i should be able to do that but it's just like i don't know every week i think something different and i think you have to because um things change so quickly throughout the course of a scene particularly when nfc west play starts are you mm -hmm. kidding like and and i certainly didn't think that things would you know the seahawks would have some of the um, drama, I think, off season that they did, and and then I, you know, I thought the there was a point in time where, yeah, you knew the the Jared Goff Sean McVay relationship had deteriorated, but you still thought like maybe they just need a little vacation, and he'll come <laughs> in, and John Walford or will uh, John Walford will uh, sort of like put that chip on his shoulder heading into training camp. And then they're like, nope, nope. <laughs> he's out of here. <laughs> so um, you just never know. I, and yeah, but I, I think we, I do think that one thing I agree with, I think a lot of pundits on is I, I'm just not quite sure uh, still about the Cardinals. Cause again, you go off the the records and you can't, and this is the same with um, McVay and Shanahan. You can't keep getting swept by a team in the NFC West and McVay has to take one from, from Shanahan this year, at least. And Kingsbury has to take one from McVeigh, but I think it's maybe more likely that the Rams go one, you know, maybe one and one against a team like San Francisco than maybe the Cardinals doing it against the Rams based on just structurally. It's a great matchup for the Rams, to be honest with you. Um, so that's kind of why I keep, cause you can't, you just can't keep getting swept by a team. Right. Yeah. Well, honestly, I don't even fault you like not liking you not liking making takes. Cause I, I mean, it's not like it's weird that it gives anyone anxiety in an age where there is legitimately a Twitter account dedicated to being like, gotcha. You <laughs> said something stupid oh, yeah. eight years. Like there's a thing right now. Freezing, freezing cold takes. Yeah. Or there's an yeah. is a, is a old takes exposed yeah. and a freezing cold. There's multiple. Okay. Yeah. Anything Actually. you say is definitely going to get screenshot and sent away. Yeah. And it's just like, now it's like we're, they go in the archives and do it. People got these newspaper.com accounts and they'll pull a column from 2001 where you predicted yeah. something. And well, that's what happened uh, with last year with the dk jalen stuff remember because people were pulling up all of the stuff from press conferences that they and it, none of it was even um like all of it was really respectful <laughs> you know right but like you, but people would be like oh see like what do you mean he's hiding him from me or he's hiding <laughs> he's hiding him from you or he's being hid from you or whatever 
Um, and it's just crazy, like how things can things can escalate in the heat of the moment. Week week fifteen, you know, <laughs> it gets crazy out there. Yeah, and just well, then now the players like have so much access to what people say about them, so then it's like very easy for them like yeah. kind of dunk on you back. Uh, yeah. I mean, you look at John Morant in the NBA when they when they beat uh, the Warriors. Like he he was so set on like what other people had to say that he thanked Monica McNutt uh, after For a prediction. Yeah, like that was it. Was like thank you, Monica. Like that was the tweet. You yeah. know, like that he, he was so set on proving people wrong for their take, which yeah. is a fine take to think the Warriors are going to win. I do like, though, that players aren't hiding it anymore. Like, they're not pretending that they don't see stuff. Because remember, there yeah. was a time where they'd be like, I don't read anything. I don't look at anything. I don't I don't own a TV. Like, stuff like where you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, but and then it's funny now to me, it's funny, like trying to figure out which coaches like probably have burner accounts. Like you just know that Sean McVay probably has a, a burner account on Twitter. Like you that man is way Twitter. too dialed in to like these, you know, inside jokes among the fan base. Like he'll come out and he'll he'll say something like, you know, one of his McVayisms, like the above the neck. Like he's got a real good above the neck going on. Like <laughs> and he'll and but he'll be like. Now he'll be like, oh, and I know everyone, you know, you guys all make, you know, everyone makes fun of me for it. And I was like, well, that's kind of a Twitter thing, man. Like, it's <laughs> yeah, interesting that you would know that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm, that's my other off season. Well, watching the Detroit Lions. Check. <laughs> <laughs> and, and finding, uh, finding Sean McFay's burner account. Check. Oh, yeah. that'd be fun. I don't, I don't have the energy to do that for like John Snyder or, or Pete Carroll or anything, but. That's yeah. Good luck with that. Good luck Thanks. with both of those projects. I know. To be, to be very honest, that's a real dedication to the. But to the people crowd. people ask me some of the challenges of this job, and that's definitely you know I will sacrifice my. <laughs> <laughs> well, that and that and giving takes. Giving takes is very like people love to be like you said. Or when someone plays well that you said stinks, you're like, well, what about? I'm pretty sure anyone who said anything bad about Josh Allen had to deal with that all last year. Oh, sure. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, but I mean, and anyone who said Tom Brady was washed ever is eating pro on that. You're like, I said, every make it to the same. Yeah, remember at 30, remember tw- 27 years ago when you said this Tom Brady kid's not going to make it? I remember, like, yeah, yeah, the draft has become like the yeah. ultimate gotcha thing that we do. And yeah. It's like, yeah, it makes people not want to give takes. And it's just like, yeah, no, I, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get you out of here on your very nuanced and balanced and acceptable take on, <laughs> on the Rams. Yes. Thank you for so. Thank you so much for accepting uh, accepting the way that I am. You know. Yeah. Hey, and, we got you. We got you. Got to treat our and favorite guests right. And all my sweatiness. <laughs> this well, ladies and gentlemen, that is Jordan Rodriguez, our favorite guest uh, on the Seahawks Man to Man podcast, um, setting the record for appearances, bringing great insight every time. Like. I think uh, if you guys listening, not if you listen, I know you are, but like what Jordan's covering right now with the Rams is like probably the start of like a revolution in terms of how team building looks in the NFL, the combination of data and film study and just old school football guyness because that's never yep. going to go away. But <laughs> Jordan's chronicle it all in a dope way. Make sure you guys check out all her work on the athletic, the series that she's doing right now, peeling back the curtain, getting unprecedented access to scouts and personnel people. It's great stuff. She's doing great work. Thank you, Jordan, so much. Um, I can't wait to have you on again during the season for another take. Uh, and whenever the, the game, I think the game in the, against the Rams is in the fall or uh, in December, November or something, can't wait to see you down there in L.A. Thanks, guys. It's always a pleasure. You guys are my favorite 
podcast to be on. Um, I think I like you guys better than I like being even on my own <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no, I mean, my, my co-host Rich Hammond's great, but uh, you guys are just so much fun. So thanks for having me as usual. Um, I will see you guys. Uh, I think, you know, I think we're getting the all clear. So I will see you guys up in Seattle. I know I'll see you in, in LA, Mike. Fingers and, crossed. Yeah. Right so, Tier one, baby. <laughs> I know. Fingers crossed. So uh, thanks for having me, guys. All right, thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you, Jordan. We'll catch you guys with our next, our final episode of our NFC West Roundup with Captain Fitzgerald of the NFL Republic. That'll be next week. We're out. Peace. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.